In our family, we have a tradition. You probably have a similar one, maybe, um, if you're saved. Um, we pray before we eat. Um, if you don't do that, you're not saved. Uh, but in our family, we, we have four kids, um, nine, seven, four and a half, and two and a half. And so what that means, and some of you parents may experience a similar thing, is that every kid wants to pray before we eat. Not like we're all going to pray corporately, like individually they're going to pray. Now, for Cooper, who's our nine-year-old, Branson, who's our seven-year-old, even Tucker, those look like or sound like prayers that you might pray. They, they sound like intelligent human words that make sense, and at some point it probably says something about bless his food or something. Kinley, it's a song. God, our Father, God, our Father, we thank you. We th-. But here's the thing. Everybody has to sing when Kinley's singing. And Kinley will stop the song if she opens her eyes and sees that your eyes are open and we have to start back over. So she'll start singing with her eyes closed, just clenched, and then she'll kind of look. And if daddy, just taking in how cute the whole thing is, if daddy's looking, she'll say, daddy, close your eyes. Again, God, our, and we just start it back over. Well, that would be fine if that's the only prayer. But before this time, probably Cooper has prayed. For the, food. the food is good and blessed by the time we eat it. Cooper's prayed, and Cooper's nine, so he wants us to know how deep he loves God. And so sometimes, it, you know, it goes and goes and goes. And then Branson wants to make sure he one-ups Cooper's prayer. So it's, it's a really good, theologically sound, doctrinal prayer. And then Tucker, he just wants to pray, and it may not have anything to do with food. He's four and a half, and what's going to get him in trouble in life is that he loves to make people laugh. And so he will pray, and then, like, in the middle of the prayer, he'll say the word pooty or something, just to make everybody giggle at the table. And then he gets done, and then it's Kinley's turn, and now Kinley wants to sing. And then we all have to keep our eyes closed while Kinley's singing the prayer. Here's the problem with that. I like to eat. <laughs> so when I sit down at the table, right, and there's a plate of food sitting in front of me, I'm not ready for 11 minutes worth of prayers. Like, if you ask me to pray for the meal before lunch today, I'd be like, Lord, bless food. Amen. And like, well, I'm ready to eat. And so I have to exercise in that moment incredible, incredible amounts of patience. Now, luckily, the recipients of my patience that day or those meals or that time are my four kids. Because I love my kids. And so it's a little easier to be patient with them. If I sat down with you and you prayed an 11-minute prayer before lunch today, I would pick up my fork. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. But when I get hungry, I get angry. I don't know what happens. Um, but I, ha- I would have to exercise patience. But a li- again, it's a little easier for me to be patient with them because I love them. Uh, but love is something we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. And today, specifically, we're talking about patience. We're going to spend the next few weeks talking about this idea of love, um, what love really is. Thus, we are very creative. We titled the series Love Is. Um, but love is an interesting thing in the English language because we really only have the one word to describe this incredible span of emotions that we may feel. The gorgeous woman who's been standing on stage giving some of these announcements is my wife, and I love her. Which would sound awesome, except that I love to eat. I just said that. And I also love sports. And I love my kids. And I just sold my 97 Volvo. So I know some of you, you know how brokenhearted I am. Not at all. And bought a new used car. And I love my new car. And so what do I mean when I say that I love my wife and I love my kids and I love food and I love sports and I love my new car and... 
surely I don't love all of those things the same way, right? Because the English language handicaps us a little bit in that we only have that one word. We really only have that one word to use to to signify the same thing, this emotional connection, this, this attraction, this, this deep somehow abiding relationship, whatever, whatever the span of it is, we are handicapped in English because we only have that one phrase. And I want us to flip today to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've got a Bible, if you've got a device, you can search it on there, a version Bible app or something similar. Um, because we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to look at a really famous passage of Scripture, one that you've probably heard, one that you probably know. Even if you can't quote it, you probably know it in some way because um, even like non-religious people, uh, they, they get this quoted at their wedding. Um, it, it's on T-shirts. It's on coffee mugs that you have in your cabinet there. And um, there's just a lot to this passage of Scripture that people would buy into. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to use this passage as really our text for the next four or five weeks to look at this idea of what love really is. And we'll start in verse 4. Let's read this together. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, again, this is a famous passage of Scripture Um, Paul, the apostle Paul has written this passage and it's in the middle of a really, really rich piece of text there in first Corinthians chapters 12, 13 and 14 are foundational texts for us that are reading now to understand some basic foundational truths about Christianity and about the church and about what God really intended for his people. And in first Corinthians 12 and then in first Corinthians 14, we can, we can read about spiritual gifts. We can read about the corporate body. That's kind of us when we gather together. And we can read about how we are to be in order and the things that we are and are not to do. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, we read about some of these spiritual giftings and the way that that God has appointed people within the church to carry out certain things. And then depending on the translation that you read, the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12 says, related to all these spiritual gifts, all these things that you do in the corporate setting of church, it says, but I want to show you the most excellent way. I want to show you the most excellent way. And so when we come out of that, we come into 1 Corinthians 13, and then Paul says to us, you know, if I could do certain things, it'd be okay, but if I could do these other things, it'd be even better. And he comes to this idea that if I do any of that without love, I'm in error. If I do any of these things in a corporate setting, if I do anything, any of these things in the church, but I don't have love, it's really, it's really pointless what I'm doing. It's really not important what I'm even trying to accomplish if I don't do those things in love. Now, the phrase love, even in Scripture, I mean, I told you that in English we're kind of handicapped because we've really just got that one phrase. But in the Greek language, which is what a huge chunk of the Scriptures that you may read, especially this New Testament here, that's what it's written in, in the original language. Um, the word, the, the Greek word for love, there's actually three or four of them that you might see in Scripture if you were reading it in Greek. Anybody reading it in Greek? 
No? Okay. All right. So you just have to trust me on this. But you've heard these phrases too, probably. Um, There's three primary words that you would use in the Greek to signify this idea of love. And so anytime you see the word love in Scripture, it's probably, especially in the New Testament, it's probably one of these three phrases. And this probably won't be new to many of you. The first one of those is agape. Agape is this idea of unconditional love. Now, agape is often um, kind of transposed and says, hey, this is, this is God's love, this unconditional love. But another way to look at agape love is Christian love because it's selfless. It's not self-seeking. That's why it's mostly attributed to God. But in Scripture, agape is not always attributed to God. Sometimes it can be attributed to human love when it's given in this kind of setting to say, hey, um, there's an unconditional Christian love, not self-seeking, not selfish in any way kind of love that I have. And so agape is, the, is a phrase that is used there for love. The second kind of love that you might see is the word phileo. Phileo is really where we get the, the, the term Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, and, and it means what we call the city of Philadelphia, brotherly love. It's, it's this idea, I love my brother. I don't always like him, but I love him, right? There is a, a protection there. There's a care. There's a camaraderie related to that love. And so you have agape, which is this unconditional love that really originates from God. You have this phileo love that's more of this camaraderie, brotherly love here. And then the third one is eros or eros. And this is this physical, intimate kind of love. And in the English language... We have some derivatives of these words that we use to describe different aspects of love, but we're still limited to this one idea of love. Now, author C.S. Lewis, he, he talked a little bit about these different kinds of loves. He wrote a, a work called The Four Loves, and there's another one that he references in that as well. But when he's talking about agape, this is what he says. He says, agape is used to describe the highest level of love known to humanity. A selfless love, a love that was passionately committed to the well-being of the other. And the reason that that's important for us today is that in each of the instances that we just read in 1 Corinthians 13, the word love there is agape. The original word that's used that we translate in English into love. Love is patient. Love is kind. We're talking about agape is patient. Agape is kind. So unconditional love, this selfless, non-selfish, non-self-centered love, unconditional love that we have is patient. It's kind, right? And so important for us to understand that is that anytime we read this, we have to read it through that lens. We can't say the way I love chicken fajitas is patient. It's kind, different kind of love, right? This unconditional love that we can experience from God, and then we are called to try to reproduce here on earth, is patient. And it's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not self-seeking. So I want us to look there in verse 4 at this idea of love is patient. Now, if you would describe yourself as a patient person, raise your hand. This is not a test. You will not be challenged on this. No one is going to keep them, keep them raised high. Keep them raised. I want your spouse to see that your hand is raised or your friends to know. So you, okay. So let me just make sure I understand. If your hand is not raised, you would not describe yourself as a patient person, right? All right. You can put your hands down if you had them. So if you would say, I am not a patient person, raise your hand. Let me just tell you, it's a God thing that you're here today. Because I'm preaching right to you, right? No. 
Patience is a difficult, difficult thing. And let me say right up front here before we jump into this for the next few minutes. Today is not meant to kind of bind you up in guilt and condemnation if you've ever lost your temper. If you've, you know, if you get frustrated tomorrow driving down 400 or around 285, don't be like, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Jeremy preached on this yesterday and I've got no agape in me. I mean, just don't feel that today. Today's not meant to be guilt and condemnation, but today is meant to be a personal challenge. And it's meant to be something that we kind of look inside of ourselves and say, maybe if I'm not a patient person, why am I not a patient person? If I am a patient person, then how... How has that come about in me? Is it totally personality driven? Is it circumstantial? Is it just a place of life, a season of life? Are there things that I'm doing? And how can I make sure that in my patience, I am expressing the love of God? Patience is often something that we allow to be circumstantial. And here's what I mean by that. Even if you raised your hand to say, I'm a patient person, probably not always. Even if you didn't raise your hand to say, I am not a patient person, You probably are sometimes because patience is most often related to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I'll give you a great example. I just referenced it a little bit, but you're in the car and you're driving along at 55, 60, 65 miles an hour and things are going great. You're going to be early for your meeting. There's going to be no problems. You're well prepared Things are going smoothly until that idiot in front of you swerves to avoid something in the road that you don't even see there, hits something, gets in a wreck. Now you're stuck in a traffic jam. Now you're late. Now you pick up the phone. You're calling. I'm going to be late. I don't know. Some idiot in front of me, right? Circumstances changed. Lost my patience, right? Because patience most often is circumstantial. I'll give you another example. I'm going to tell on myself a couple times today, but I'll give you another example. I am notorious, okay? My wife will amen me to death right here. I'm notorious for kind of being laid back in our home. There's no problems. Everything's smooth. We're good. Hey, we got to leave here by 10 o'clock. And so I'll, I'll, maybe we got time. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And then I'll look at the clock. I'll be like, okay, we probably need to get going now. And then I get into like a panic mode. I'm like drill sergeant. I'm like, kids, get your stuff together. Let's go. What are you? Your kids are going to make us late, right? Because the circumstances have changed. I looked at the clock incorrectly. Or I thought we had enough time because what I did is I thought I had enough time. Somehow, with a nine-year-old, I still have not accounted for the fact that everybody in my house doesn't get dressed as fast as me. Right? Because I'll look at it, I'll be like, we got to leave at 10. I got seven minutes. That's plenty of time. And my wife's like, what time do we have to leave? I'm like, seven minutes from now. She's like, you're going to have to leave without me. I'm like, no, let's ride together, baby. You're fine. So now she's scrambling. She's like, can you please get the kids ready? (laughs) She comes down, gets in the car. All the kids are in there. I feel like it's a success. None of them have shoes. I don't have juice for the little girl. Their clothes don't even match. The four-year-old's wearing the seven-year-old's shirt. It's a dress now. Right? Why? Because the circumstances have changed. I felt like seven minutes was plenty of time to get us out of the house. Patience is most often tied to our circumstances. Now, maybe you can't relate. If you had to leave at 10 o'clock, you're dressed by 745. 
Your kids are up at 8.15. You have snacks packed from a week before in preparation of leaving at 10 today. You can't relate to me even a little bit, right? You knew you were going to lose an hour of sleep last night, so you set your clock back 15 minutes a day for the previous four days just so you could be prepared for the hour of sleep you would lose last night. So some, I got an amen back there. Y'all think I'm making this stuff up, right? Because patience is most often tied to our circumstances. Now, here's the problem for a lot of us. We are more patient with those we don't know. We are more patient with those we don't interact with on a daily basis. Those that don't live in our home. Those we don't work with. We're more patient with those who are a little bit on the fringe of our lives than we are with those that are closest to us. Right? We tend to lose our patience a little more quickly with the people that we know and say that we love than those that we don't know. Why? Because we tend to give the benefit of the doubt to these people we don't know, but we're sure that our nine-year-old is trying to make us late. We are convinced. And so we lose our patience in those moments with those that we love the most, with those that we are closest to, and we tend to be more patient with those that we don't know that well, those that are a little more removed from us. Now, I don't often do this because it's, I don't often do this, but I want to define patience. You know what patience is. We've been talking about it. So we kind of feel patience and feel what a lack of patience is. But this is the actual definition of patience. Patience is able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. I'm going to read that one more time. Patience is able to accept or tolerate delays or problems or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. So I'm going to ask again, if you would consider yourself to be a patient person, lift your hands, right? We're able to accept delays, problems, suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. Have you ever been around someone when they got news that their flight was delayed? I mean, you find out in a hurry who's patient and who's not. They're on the phone giving what for to the lady from Delta that they will never meet. Because she has totally disrupted their schedule. It's her fault. It's completely her fault. And they've lost their patience. Again, we we get in the car, we're in the traffic, and we lose our patience because we are now delayed. There's been some type of disruption or problem or suffering and now we're annoyed and now we're anxious because of what has happened to create this experience for us. And here's the problem with the annoyance and the anxiousness that comes with a lack of patience. It all becomes about us. Right? It all becomes about us. I mean, love is patient, love is kind. It is not self-seeking we get to in a little bit. Except that when I lose my patience, it's probably most often because I am totally self-focused right now. The reason that I'm losing my patience when my kids are making us late, even if it's my fault, is because now I know I have to give the explanation when we get there. Yeah, we were late, I'm sorry, or I'm the one that's responsible for whatever, or I'm going to have to speed a little bit. or I'm, get- I'm thinking, how does this affect me? My flight gets delayed, 
And so now I'm thinking about all the things that are happening. I'm not thinking about how this affects anybody else except me. Traffic. Whether it be from something serious like a wreck. I don't want to make it too heavy. But I mean, if it's a wreck, I'm more focused about me being 10 minutes later to work than I am about what's happened up here. It's self-focus. It's self-centeredness. There's something in my heart and in my life I probably need to evaluate because it's not about patience or impatience. It's about where is my heart in this? What's my motivation for becoming impatient? Why am I annoyed? Why am I anxious? Because now I'm worried about how it affects me and how it reflects on me and what others will think about me. And so if I want to really evaluate my patience or my impatience, I think that I have to turn the focus away from me and look towards others. Dr. Ike Reichert is a pastor in Marietta, and he's done a million things in his life. And he's the president of Must Ministries, which is a great local outreach ministry in our community. But he put on Twitter recently, he said, Have you ever noticed that patience is something you appreciate in the driver behind you, but it angers you in the car ahead of you? Think about that for a second. You're thankful that when you slam on your brakes because you could not avoid what was happening up there. You didn't create it. You're reacting to it. And so you slam on your brakes and you are so thankful that the guy behind you is patient and he responds appropriately. And he's got enough distance between your car and his that he doesn't come slamming into the back of your car. But you are annoyed when the guy in front of you slams on his brakes. Nobody? Okay, so I'm the only guy that yells at the car in front of me. Okay, I got you. I got you, you bunch of hypocrites. All right, so I think I'm losing my patience this morning with you. We most often are looking for patience in those behind. Why? Because it would affect us. They rear end us. Now we got to deal with insurance. Now we're further delayed. We're thankful that they're patient. We're thankful that they've created some margin between our cars. But we... Riding right up on the tail tailpipe of that other car in front of us. They slam on the brakes. There's no margin. There's no ability for us to react appropriately. And we are now annoyed with the car in front of us. And today it's not about traffic. I don't know. I feel like traffic's a recurring theme today. But we're often thankful for patience in others and angered when it affects us. And so we desire patience from others. I want you to think about that. We desire patience from others. We want others to give us the benefit of the doubt, right? We want other people to assume the best in us. When we make a mistake, we want them to know that we did not set out to make a mistake. We want them to assume that we just made that error. But it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't intentional. We're going to work to make it right. Nobody feels worse than we do. We desire patience from others. We want people to be patient with us. When we're learning a new task and a new skill, we're learning something new on our job. We don't want them to walk in the first hour that we've been on that job and try to hold us accountable to an experienced veteran worker doing those tasks. We want them to be patient and give us the ability to learn the things that we were supposed to learn to accomplish what we need to do for that task. And yet, do we offer that same kind of patience towards others? Do we hold others accountable... Do we we try to make them live up to standards that we know we couldn't live up to ourselves? Do we try to put standards on others that we would never want someone to put on us? Yeah, within the first hour of being on the job, you got to be able to do these things. We know we couldn't do those things. We wouldn't want anybody to hold us accountable for those, but we're going to hold them accountable to that. 
We're going we're gonna to strive for them to be excellent, but we want others to allow us to grow into that. We desire patience from others. Why? Because we know us. We know our motives. We know our heart. We know our experience. We know what things we are able to do. And we assume some other things about other people. I would say this. If, if in your home, and again, my context is skewed. I understand that. We just have one finite perspective in our home. It's me and my wife and our four kids. But if I find myself losing my patience more with my wife and my kids than I do with other people outside of our home, I need to do a heart check. I need to evaluate me before I try to evaluate the things that they need to fix. I need to work on me. I need to make sure that if I'm the one because of delays or issues or problems or sufferings in some way, that if I'm the one that's constantly annoyed, if I'm the one that's constantly anxious, maybe there's something about me that needs to be evaluated. Because I say with words that I love my wife. I say with my words that I love my children. And when I say it, as much as humanly possible, what I mean by that is I mean I agape them. I love them. As much as humanly possible, I unconditionally, wholeheartedly love them. I loved my kids before I met my kids. And so if love is patient, and I'm not talking about lack of discipline. I'm not talking about don't do the things that God called parents to. I'm just saying if I am constantly losing my patience with my children, constantly losing my patience with my wife, I probably need to do one of two things. Evaluate me or quit saying I love you. At least in that way, I need to change that love. I don't agape you. I phileo you. I mean, I just kind of, you know, when it's convenient, love you. Why? Because love without patience is conditional and self-serving. Love without patience is conditional and self-serving. If I can love you without having to be patient with you, then I'm only loving you as much as it meets my conditions, the parameters that I set. I'm only loving you as much as it serves me. I'm only loving you as much as I'm no longer annoyed, as much as I'm no longer anxious, as much as I'm allowed within my love for you to be annoyed constantly, to be anxious constantly, to scream and yell constantly, to, to, to kind of project on you my own insecurities or my own lack of discipline or... I'm only loving you that much. I'm not mimicking the love of God. Because if agape is the God love, if it's the love that we receive and try to reflect, then I want you to ask yourself this question. How patient is God with you? How patient do you hope God is with you? How many times have you messed it up and 
begged and pleaded for the patience of God for you. If I agape, if I am striving to agape, if I want to reflect agape love, then a foundational piece of that has to be patience. It's got to be. It's got to be me being patient with those that I love. And love without patience is conditional and self-serving. It is totally conditionally based. And agape love is unconditional. It's not based on them meeting certain conditions. So we read that love is patient. We read that it's kind, which we'll deal with a little bit next week. But as we look at patience... I want us to kind of look at two ways. How can I build some patience? How can I practice patience in love? Some of this is found in scripture. We're going to read one or two of those scriptures in a minute. But I just want to run through these. There's two things. How I can practice patience in love. I think these are really easy kind of principles. They're a little more difficult to live out. The first one is this. Build in margin. Build in margin. I mean, I gave the example of in our home, when we only give seven minutes to leave the house, that's not enough time. I've got to build in some margin. I've got to account for how long things actually take for us to get ready and get out of the house and have everything that we need with us. If a frustration point for you in your home is finances, it may be that you are living right up against or beyond your means. And so it could be that instead of just needing to practice more patience, you need to build margin into your finances in your home. So that we're no longer fighting about money all the time because this week this bill came due or this week we had this extra expense. Let's try to figure out how to live below our means and have some margin so that when something goes wrong, something breaks down, something happens unexpectedly, we can live within that margin and still be okay. We have to build in some margin. If I know that I have to be there by 10 and it's a 20 minute drive, I can't leave at 940 because then I'm out of control. I no longer control the things between me and my appointment. I've got to build in margin to my time. I need to give myself an extra five or 10 or 15 or 20 or hour, whatever the transit is. I need to account for the margin that's necessary to make sure that if I have any type of delay, Any type of disruption, any type of disturbance, I am not going to get annoyed or anxious because I've built in margin to my life. If I'm going to practice patience in love, I've got to build in margin. And again, we'll come to some scriptures in a second. But the second one that I want us to look at, how to practice some patience in love. Number two says, give more than you expect. Give more than you expect. Evaluate how much patience you want from others. What do I want people to assume about me? What do I want people to think about me? How much patience do I want them to give towards me? And then I need to up that in how I give that out. Give more than I expect. Give more patience than I'm hoping to receive. Give more patience than I need. If it takes me 10 minutes to get ready, then I'm going to allow my kids 20 minutes to get ready, right? If if I would hope, if I'm running late to something, 
that somebody would be gracious to me and grant patience towards me, then I'm going to do the same anytime someone's late for something that I've said, a meeting I'm in charge of. I want to give more than I expect. I want to build in margin and I want to give more than I expect. Because the people that I love, the people that I say I unconditionally love, that I love them as much as humanly possible without the constraints of conditions that says, I only love you this much. I only love you when you do these things. I only love you when you meet these circumstances, these conditions. If I want to love them without those conditions, then love is patient. Period. Love is patient. And where I'm not being patient, I need to evaluate my love or evaluate my heart. Love is patient. Period. And it's easy for us to see the perfect example of love, right? Jesus Christ came at the command of his father. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life, wouldn't perish. He modeled for us patience. God so loved the world that he gave you one chance. And when you messed it up, he wrote you off. No. I think you could say God was so patient that he sent his only son to come and to die on a cross. I want to read you two passages of scripture here that I think kind of find our practice in love by looking to the example of God and his love for us through Jesus Christ. This is in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is not on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 3 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago. And God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And in it, only a few people were saved through the water. Now, we referenced this a few months ago. I used this to speak at a conference this week about, about the days of Noah and how God was patient there. And we don't think about that. We think God was impatient in the days of Noah because he destroyed the earth. Noah was a guy that built a boat and floodwaters came. And God destroyed the unrighteous of the earth. But if you think about that story, God told Noah the plan before he gave the command to build the boat. God said, I'm going to destroy the earth. But I want you to build a boat to save mankind. And so when we read in 1 Peter chapter 3 that God was patient in those days, I believe it. Because God gave that proclamation that he would destroy the earth. And then he gave the command to build a boat. And then God waited for 120 years patiently before he administered his judgment. So that Noah could be obedient in building that boat. 
It might be summed up a little better in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. This will be on the screen when it says this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Tommy Nelson says this about the Bible. It's a thick book because he's a patient God. God gives patience to us because he loves us. He gives patience to us because unconditionally he looks at me and you and he says, I know they're going to make mistakes. I know they're not going to get it right. But I love them. And I don't love them only when they get it right. Because I loved them before they could choose to get it right. While they were yet sinners, scripture says, Christ died for me and for you. That throws any idea of conditional based love out the window. And so the perfect example of the patience of God, the patience that exists with an unconditional love is to say, listen, I don't want anyone to perish. And so I'm going to be patient. And you may think it's taken a long time. But a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. You may not understand the dynamics at work, but just know this. Rest in my patience. Judgment is coming. But it's not this moment. We're going to do something here in response to this moment. We're going to take communion. We do this pretty regularly here. Let me just explain what communion is for those that may not be aware. And then I'm going to ask our host to come and serve you in just a moment. Communion for us is reenacting something that we see in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the son of God, but he walked on the earth for, for 33 years. He did ministry for three of those years with a close band of followers. And just before he went to the cross, he took some bread and some juice and he broke the bread and he took the cup with these followers to say to them, there's coming a moment in the near future where my body will be broken for you and the blood that is represented in this cup will be spilled for you and he said I want you to do this in remembrance of me so they took the bread and they broke it and they took the cup and they drank it not knowing the full understanding of what was to come on the cross but you and I can look back now and we can see that the cross represented this incredible, incredible picture of the patient love of God toward me and you. And so as we take communion today, I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, I'm going to ask you to respond to the patient love of God. To hold in your hand the representation of the broken body and the cup that represents the blood of Christ. And to understand that there was a work that was done on your behalf before you could meet any conditions to earn it. And I want you to respond to that. I want you to thank God for that. I want you to pray a prayer. I want you to evaluate your life and ensure that there's nothing in your heart or in your life that is kind of negating, downplaying 
that sacrificial work and ask God to remove anything in you that doesn't honor him and his love. And secondly, I want you to look at the representation of that sacrificial, patient love. And I want you to evaluate your heart. And I want you to say, God, is there anything in me that I need to deal with so that I can be more patient with those I love? Is there anything in me that I, as much as it depends on me that I can do to ensure that I am more patient with those that I love? And then just, just deal with that, with him. Let him do the work, cleaning your heart out, building in margin, evaluating the things that need to change, evaluating how much you expect so that you can give more than you expect thinking about the individual in your home or on your job or in your school or in your neighborhood or wherever you do life that you just have such little patience with and praying for them because God died for them too. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, died on the cross and you're going to hold in remembrance those elements and that person that you envision in your head right now, he died for them too. I'm going to ask our hosts to come and to be prepared to wait on you. They're going to pass these trays, and I'm going to ask you just to take the elements and hold them in your hand as the band leads us in a worship song. When everyone's been served, I'll come back and lead us in this time. We're going to respond to the love of God. We're going to ask God to help us search our hearts in ways that we can be more patient with those that we love distribute the elements. Sing this. God, we thank you for your patient love with us. We thank you, God, that you have been patient. And you promised to be patient. And even in that, we understand that judgment is coming. So we don't take for granted your patience, but we lean into your love thank you that your love is unconditional that it's not based on our merits and our works it's not based on us being good enough but it's us and responding to your love and believing in who you are what you've promised today God as we take these elements in remembrance of you as you commanded to your followers we respond to that love and we thank you for it if there's anyone in this room that has never responded to that love or knows that they're living outside of that love, they're running away from it, God, would you assure them today as they confess to you, believe in you, God, you've always loved them. Maybe some of us need to be reminded of that today. We thank you, God. And God, today, we also ask that you would help us to evaluate our patience in love how do we respond to those around us how often are we annoyed and anxious and violent and angry with those that we say we love because we've been disrupted or disturbed or just lose our cool our composure God I pray that you would help us to Yes, build in margin. Yes, to give more than we expect. But even beyond that, to evaluate our love and to see people in our lives the way that you see them. To extend the same kind of patience towards them that you do. Because these elements that we hold 
They don't just represent you dying on the cross for us. They also represent you dying on the cross for them. In the last hours of Jesus' life, he gathered with those closest to him in anticipation of the cross. He took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Let's take and eat bread today. in like manner he took the cup so this is the blood the new covenant just spilled out salvation and healing is available to you because of the sacrifice of his blood let's take the cup today God thank you that you love us thank you for the sacrifice of your sin of our sin you sacrificed your son on our behalf to cover our sin the righteous for the unrighteous your patience was exhibited for us now God let us be patient towards those we love in response to the patient love that you give to us let it be a challenge to us this week in Jesus name we pray